You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott on Sunday, July 18th, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. This is the last week of a short series that we've done here in July uh, entitled Together. Uh, So much of our life and our culture is about individualism, seeking our best lives in the here and now, seeking our own good, even at the expense of others. And God has given us Psalm 122 to see a much better way, a much better way than that for his people. And so uh, we are now in the third and final week of looking at Psalm 122. In the first week, we spent time considering uh, why it is important that we gather together each week as the church and why we should rejoice at the opportunity uh, to to, to join together each week. We saw in verse 1 David talking about going to to be with God's people in the house of the Lord. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But literally it said, it made my heart leap with joy to go and be with God's people. And for us today, We should even be more excited about faithfully and consistently being together uh, each and every Sunday morning. Uh, We saw that uh, God has prepared a feast for his people, and he has invited us into that, to come and enjoy it. And so every week we get a glimpse at the eternal feast that God has prepared. We get to come together with God's people and hear God's truth and sing God's praises Pray together. We get to come together with God's people, and that is a unique and wonderful thing that we should never let just become boring or old hat. And then last week, we saw that God forms us together as his people. We saw that it is important to gather together as his people, but then that he forms us together as his people. We saw that as much as, as we do want to gather together, and as valuable and as important as that, the, that is, that being a part of the church is much more than that. David gets to Jerusalem in verses 2 through 5, and he sees Jerusalem and describes a city that was built closely together, a city where every block was put exactly where it needed to be, and that supported and strengthened all the other houses. As much as he was describing Jerusalem, he was also describing God's church, God's people. God has built us into a spiritual body. He has built us close together. He has made us a part of his family. He joined us together as the body of Christ. He, he, has, he has made us a spiritual house. There's many metaphors to describe God's people, and they all describe the closeness of what God does, a miracle that God does in bringing us close together. He has joined us together as his people, and that should bring us joy. He brought us closer than many of us would probably choose to be, but In his bringing us together, he didn't just want us to get along. He made us inseparable. And that should start to shape how we see each other and how we live out the Christian life together. So we have seen that God invites us to come together to worship. He has formed us together as his people. But now as we get to the end of Psalm 122, we see that God has called us his people, has called his people to work together for something, to work together for the sake of the church. This psalm shows us how, how, as God's people, we get to do that with all of our heart. 
We get to do what God has called us to do with every last inch of strength and power and emotion that we have. We are, we are by nature, I think, a half-hearted people. We are half-hearted about so many things, especially when it comes to God. We are half-hearted about prayer. We are half-hearted about reading God's Word. We are half-hearted about getting sin out of our lives. We are half-hearted about the gospel. Pastor Ray Ortland once said, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. So be wholehearted for Christ. To really know and understand the joy, the happiness that David talks about in verse 1. And all of this psalm is a reflection of that joy and happiness that he talks about. To understand that, then we cannot be half-hearted about God and his church. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, Jesus himself tells us how we should be. He tells us as Christians how, how we should love God and how we should love one another. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then right after that, he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All your soul, mind, strength, that is how we love God. That is how we should love his church. That is how we should love one another. This psalm shows us a man who is, who is thrown off the shackles of his half-hearted efforts and has started to wholeheartedly love God's people, to love the church. Psalm 122 is showing us how to give everything that we have to gather together with the church, to enjoy the reality of the church, and then to seek the good of the church. We love the church with all our heart, not because people are just that good. People can and will be difficult. We don't love the church because our friends go there and we enjoy, enjoy certain aspects of Sunday morning. Hopefully we do. But we love the church with all our heart because Christ gave himself for it. He has made the church his own. He is working on behalf of the church, and he has graciously made you and I a part of it. And that should lead us to pray for the church and seek its good. As the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon writes, first we love the church and then we labor for it. We see that it is good and then we seek its good. David in Psalm 122 moves from joyful rejoicing to be together with God's people to a prayerful commitment to seek the good of God's people. Verse 6 starts with one of the more well-known lines from this psalm, Psalm 122. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The name Jerusalem literally means city or abode of peace. Jerusalem meaning city and shalom meaning peace, Jerusalem. David is saying, pray that the city of peace will in fact be at peace. He is calling for the people that have gathered together in Jerusalem to pray together for that peace. Our churches, our city, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters desperately need peace. And so we should come together and pray. God intends for his church to be a community of believers who regularly pray together. Megan Hill has a wonderful book entitled Praying Together. And in her book, she says, we are a band of brothers united in love for our common Savior and the common cause of prayer 
for both friends and enemies. When we pray, we find our affections kindled and our hearts warmed toward one another. Prayer brings God's people close together. When we pray with one another, when we pray for one another, then our hearts and our affections should be, should be warmed toward one another. We should be reminded of the love that God has shown us, and now that should drive us to want to love one another. It is easy to feel intimidated when we pray with others. We don't do this enough. We suddenly, when we do it, we suddenly feel like we have to sound spiritual. We feel like we need to sound like we have all the right words. Our, our, our four-year-old is amazing right now. She's at such a, a fun age. Uh, she is starting to really be able to explain herself uh, verbally, and yet she's still young enough to butcher the language in, in very cute ways. And uh, recently, about 50% of what she says sounds like Ivan Drago from the Rocky movies, the Russian boxer. And the other day, she got in trouble because she wasn't sharing her toys, and then she lied to us about it. And so we sat down and explained to her why it's important to share, uh, why it's important to not be selfish, um, and, but, but that we don't want her to lie to us. We don't want her to feel like she needs to lie about it. And so we told her to sit in her room for a few minutes, and we called her out. She came out, cute as can be, tear rolling down her eye, says, Daddy, I'm sorry, and my heart is just breaking. And then little Ivan Drago comes out, and, and she says, tomorrow I will show you my truth better. And... <laughs> And I just look at her and say, that doesn't make any sense. Um, no, I didn't say that. Um, as her father, I know what she means. She, know, she means I'm going to try to not lie anymore. I'm, I'm going to try to not lie moving, moving forward. God knows you better than any earthly mother or father knows their child. He knows what you're saying even when your words aren't perfect. Too often when we pray together, we think we need to get super creative. We think we need to put on our, 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 our spiritual hats and, and, and our spiritual language to impress one another. We start trying to use bigger and better words, grand phrases, to sound impressive to those around us. Don't do it. It makes you the focus of the prayer instead of God. And it creates a feeling of inadequacy of those around you. It makes them feel like they have to start using those things. So don't do it. No one needs to feel inadequate when it comes to prayer. No one needs to feel prideful about being in prayer. Right before Jesus gives us what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he gives clear instructions on how not to pray. He says in verse 7 of Matthew 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't try to impress people with your big words in prayer. And then in verse 8, Jesus shows us why we don't need to do that. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You're not going to impress Him with your words. He knows what you need. So even if your words aren't perfect, you are talking to your Heavenly Father. He knows everything that you need. He knows the next breath. He knows the next thing that you will need, and He will never fail you. We are a needy people, and our neediness should drive us to pray together, not just on our own. We should pray on our own, but it should drive us to pray together. The great Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, died before he was 30 years old, 
but he was already well known for his devotion to God and his love of prayer. And he put it this way, if your town were in desperate need of water, would you not meet with one another to consult and dig wells and then pray for rain? Yet our churches are in need of much grace. So brothers and sisters, meet together and pray. Psalm 122, David is calling the people to pray together. And the prayer is simple. This isn't complicated. It isn't big words. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There was a literal sense in which David wanted people to pray for Jerusalem, but it was also meant to be a prayer for God's people, a prayer for God's church. Our churches are in need of unity, unity that comes through peace that God provides. So let's pray together. Our brothers and sisters are in need of a peace that is beyond understanding. So let's seek God and pray together. He calls us to pray, and then he gives us an example of what that prayer should look like. He not only just says, here it is, it's simple, pray, but then gives us an example of what it should look like. Verse 6 and 7 of Psalm 122, this is is David's prayer. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. He prays for peace in two distinct ways. For peace to be within us personally and a peace to be within the church corporately. David prays in verse 6, may those who love you be secure. He starts with peace and security in the hearts and lives of each Christian. In the heart and life of everyone who makes up the church. When I was in my 20s, I, I, I felt honestly like my life was marked by failure. I had failed, felt like I had failed at, my, at school, I had failed at my job, failed at relationships, failed at church, just one failure after another. And during that time, I constantly questioned in my heart and in my mind whether God really was for me, whether God really cared about me. I felt uncertain about life, I felt uncertain about my, myself, and, I, and it led me to feel uncertain about God. In no way could I look at my life and say, I feel secure. I know what that means. I felt like the bottom had fallen out from underneath me, and I had no security. I was just falling. And in the midst of that time, I read Romans 8, verse, chapter 8, verse 32, just says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What else is he going to withhold from you? I was looking at what I had failed at. I was looking at what I didn't have. I was looking at myself, and it led me to believe that God didn't care. That for some reason, he must be withholding his love and grace from me. But then God put my eyes on him, and he reminded me, I didn't spare my own son. I gave my son for you. Of course, I'm going to graciously give you all things. Our security comes from who God is and what he has done for us. Our security does not depend on does not come on how we feel from day to day. 
The security that David is talking about is not dependent on what I'm able to do. The security that we, that we desperately long for is our control. We want to have control of things, but the security that God provides is within his control, and we should be happy about that. The world rages around us. There seems to be an infinite amount of things that we could be worried about, an infinite amount of things that can make us feel insecure, and yet we somehow, somehow have some illusion that we're in control. We are not, and that is a good thing. God is secure. There are things to worry about. There are things that make us anxious, but our God is a mighty fortress. As Christians, we are secure in Christ, and nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can make us less secure in even the slightest way. You can't do anything to affect that. In John 10, Jesus tells them, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He is just looking at everything in the world and daring them to try and come. It will not happen. He is too powerful. He is too good. He is too loving. There is no greater security than being found in Christ. And so we should seek to live as those who are secure. We should seek to live as those who understand what we have in Christ. We should move towards one another in a way that, that, that explains and, and proclaims that I am found in him. That's how we should live, and we should encourage that and strengthen that in one another. David's prayer continues from security in the hearts and minds of God's people to peace and security for the church. He prays in verse 7, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The early church historian Josephus wrote that there were at Jerusalem three ranges or rows of walls. It was built this way to give layers of protection, layers of security. They built Jerusalem in such a way as to ensure that peace would be within their walls. Christ is passionate about peace for his people. He has built the church in such a way to ensure peace, to ensure security. As he says in Matthew 16, not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. So then why do we need to pray for it? Why do God's people need to pray for this? Shouldn't this just be a given? We are the children of God. Surely if anyone is going to know peace, it's the children of the creator and sustainer of the universe. Yet just as Jerusalem has rarely seen peace, the church too often finds itself at odds with itself. The church too often doesn't live in light of the eternal peace that we have in Christ. David saw Jerusalem as a city at unity with itself, and yet we rarely live in light of that unity that God has provided. We allow sin to come in. We allow sin in our lives, disputes, gossip, backbiting. We tear down brothers and sisters in Christ. These all try to rip away at the unity that Christ has purchased. As Christians, we are told to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Thirsty people shouldn't waste their energy gossiping and talking bad about other thirsty people. Truly hungry people aren't going to spend their time trying to tear down other hungry people. 
Hungry and thirsty people seek peace with one another so they can get back to pursuing what they are hungry and thirsty for. This past year has given us a unique opportunity to think the very worst of one another. We have been distant from one another. We have been anxious by all that's going on in the world. We have been addicted to social media, and it has been all too easy to allow thoughts to come in that makes us think the worst of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no peace when we are sitting around in bitterness towards one another, sitting around talking badly about what we don't like about each other, about, about other members of the body of Christ, like we aren't really in this together. We are called to stir up one another to love and good works, and yet when we are angry, bitter, self-centered, what we do instead is we try to stir up others to take our sides We try to stir up others, to tear others down. It should never be this way. When we do these things, we have forgotten who we are, a member of the house of God, a part of the body of Christ, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister in the family of God. And we too easily forget that it is a miracle of the sovereign creator of the universe that you get to be a part of this church. It is a miracle that I get to be a part of this church. It is one of the miracles of Christ that we are made a part of the family of God. It is so easy on a week-to-week basis to get bored with the services, to grow tired, annoyed with the people, to become entitled and indifferent towards the church. It is so easy unless, unless you remember that it is a miracle that you are here. That it is amazing grace that has brought you here. That it is a miracle that you weren't stopped at the door before you entered and say, sorry, this is not for you. You don't belong here. That's not what God does to us. You were an enemy of Christ. Not just a good guy who had to figure some things out. You were an enemy of Christ and he joyfully, joyfully gave his life and welcomed you into his family. Jesus died to save his enemies, and that is the only reason that we can be here today. And that should make us love one another and welcome one another. When you remember that, then you will pray for peace and security and for God's church. And you will do all that you can, all that is within your power to see peace in the church. When you see the beauty of being in the presence of God with God's people, then you will start to see the absolute necessity that each of us prays for that unity. The necessity that we pray for that peace and seek the security and we work for the good of God's church. Why is it a necessity to pray for peace? Because people inside the church will try to destroy the unity. People outside will try to destroy it. Apparently the gates of hell are going to attack and try to prevail against God's people. The enemy wants to create distance between God's people. We often want to create distance between God's people. But God has given us prayer to draw us close together. He he has called us to draw close together. Prayer draws us close to one another, but we often use prayer as a way to distance ourselves from the situation. We hear about needs in the church. We hear about struggles of brothers and sisters. And if we're honest... We just don't want to get too close to the situation. We have a lot of good reasons to not help, to not be a part. We just don't know how. We're going through our own struggles. We don't have the time. 
And so we say, I'll be praying for you. And then we quickly forget about the situation. Maybe we offer a prayer right then and we're just thankful. I've done my duty. When we pray, we don't say, I've prayed, so I don't have to do anything else. On the contrary, prayer commits us to the situation. We start to care more about those that we are praying for. Prayer should draw us close to God and draw us close to each other. Prayer brings God's people closer together, and it should lead us to seek the good of our brothers and sisters. The psalmist coming out of praying for the people in the church now says, I'm going to seek their good. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 122 say, For the sake of my brothers and companions, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. These are not empty words. This is a call to real, practical action in the church for the sake of the church. The greatest TV show of all time, um, without competition, is Lost. Um, (laughs) If you don't agree, you're wrong. And... It's okay, we're all wrong sometimes. Um, Lost is a show about a group of people who don't know each other. They crash together on an island. That island turns out to be filled with a smoke monster and a bunch of people that want to destroy them. It's, it's really good. And, and, uh, and in one of the early scenes, one of the great early scenes of the show, the main character, Jack, speaks to the group and just says, we can't do this. They're destroying each other. And he says, we can't do this. Every man for himself is not going to work. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. We need to figure out some way to contribute. You each need to figure out some way to contribute. And he says, if we can't live together, then we're going to die alone. It's awesome. Um, (laughs) when, When God tells us to seek the good of other believers, he is reminding us that we need one another. We are in the midst of a world trying to tear down God's people. We are in the midst of a war where the world and Satan are trying to destroy and devour God's people. And so God calls his people close together to be able to stand strong. We will need to be able to come close together to stand strong when those things are opposing us. And then he gives us the way to actually be close. He gives us a way to stay close to each other without destroying each other. God is not unaware of what happens when people get too close to each other. God gives us the way to seek good for our brothers and sisters. He knows that when we're close together, there's a chance we're going to rip away at each other. We're going to turn on each other. And so in the New Testament... We are given over 50 one another's, 50 plus ways we walk with one another, care for one another, help each other grow and work together. 50 plus ways to keep us close together and see our love for one another grow. I know it's easy to hear or read a list like this and start to think when you hear all these great one another's, start to think, yes. All of these people need to hear that and do this for me. Um, That is very natural. But the truth is, we are a needy people. And so this is true. 
all of us, each member, needs people doing these things for us. But we also take every opportunity that we have with all of our heart to do this for others. These one another's give us a glimpse at how God brings his people together and ensures that we stay close to one another. I'm going to read just a few of them to give you an idea. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Live in unity with one another. Teach one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Encourage and exhort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. If we are being kind, compassionate, loving, patient, devoted to one another while we encourage, teach, exhort, stir one another up, and show hospitality to one another, then we will be able to stay close. That will overcome a lot of other things. We need to work together on this. We need to show hospitality. We need to get to know each other. We need to open up our homes and our lives. We need to be kind. We need to be ready to forgive each other. We need to take the time to think through how we can stir up one another to do the good works that God has called us. We're a people that loves random acts of kindness. This isn't random acts of kindness. These are things we need to be prepared for. We need to be active in doing. That will bring us close together. So we seek the good of our brothers and sisters. And here in this last verse, Psalm 122, we seek the good of the house of the Lord. Verse 9 says, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Literally, to seek your prosperity. David wants God's church to thrive and grow. David wants God's church to prosper. Is that what you desire? When you come here on Sunday mornings, is that at the forefront of your heart for the church? Is that what you're thinking through? I want God's church to be strong. I want it to stand out as a light to the world. Is that what you desire? It should be. David's motivation is focused on others. For the sake of my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the house of the Lord, God wants his church to prosper, and we should too. So we should work hard to do all that we can to keep peace in the church, to seek peace in the church. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he tells them in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. I don't think we even really have a column for that. We don't really know what that means. But I can tell you it means don't be half-hearted about the unity of the church. Don't be half-hearted about the peace that God has provided. Don't be half-hearted about God's people. We need, to be, we need to be active in seeking the good of the church. To do this, we must humble ourselves, repent, and turn away from our self-centered individuality. Humble ourselves from considering ourselves as better than others. Humble ourselves from considering our opinions and our thoughts as, as more important than people. Repent and turn away from considering others as less than us. In the church in Rome, Christians there had let, had let their, their opinions about food and drink become an issue of self-righteousness and judgment. And Paul, in his letter to the, to, to the church at Rome, 
said that it could actually destroy people that Christ died for. You putting these things up above people could destroy people that Christ died for. It could destroy the work of God. And so how does Paul encourage them? Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue peace. Pursue the things that build us up together as his church. We need to pursue those things. How are you pursuing those things in your life? How are you pursuing those things in your relationship? What are we doing for the sake of the church? How are we serving? When you hear about a need, do you just say, I'm really glad somebody else is going to meet that need? Or do you think, maybe I can meet that need? Are you giving to the church? Are you praying for the church? Are you actively loving your brothers and sisters? Are you supporting the leadership of the church? Are you inviting unbelievers into the church? Are you telling those who have wandered away, there's a joy to gather together. Please come and come back together with me. We don't do these things to check off some community service box in our life. Seeking the good of the church must be a priority in your life. The church isn't a side project. The church isn't what you do once you've finished building your deck and doing CrossFit and learning how to cook. Those are all good things, and I don't do any of them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're good things, but the church doesn't go on that list. The church isn't number four on that list. We should build our life around seeking the good of the church because that has lasting eternal value. So how do we practically seek the good of the church? As we leave this psalm, as we get to the end of this psalm, I think there are four ways that God's word, especially in the New Testament, gives us specifically, talks specifically about building up the church. How do, we, how do we give to the church? How do we help the church grow? Um, there are four ways to see how we can seek the good of the church. First, we need to use our God-given gifts. First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gives the most detailed description of, of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are God-given gifts to each one of his members, to each one of his people. He has given gifts that are meant to build up the church. Gifts like encouragement, teaching, service, giving, leading, helping, hospitality, and many more. Unique ways that he has gifted each of his people to build one another up and strengthen the church. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, which is good, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, strive to excel in gifts that build up the church. God hasn't given you gifts just so that you can feel important. Some of us are eager to have spiritual gifts, but we're much less eager to build up the church. We must strive to use the gifts that God has given us to strengthen the body, to strengthen the church. Second, we need to serve the church. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, God gave the church leaders, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
as saints, as his people, we are called to do the work of the ministry. We are called to love one another. We are called to care for one another. We are called to build one another up. We're called to serve, make this Sunday morning gathering happening. Why do we do that? Why has he wanted his saints to be equipped for the work of the ministry? Right after it, it says, for building up the body of Christ. The leaders were meant to equip the saints, and the saints are meant to do the work of the ministry, to serve the church, to build up the body of Christ. It involves preparing for Sunday morning. It involves caring for God's people. It involves making disciples. It involves proclaiming the gospel. So how are you serving God's people? We're just so half-hearted in our efforts. Half-hearted in our efforts in the work of the ministry. We just sit back sometimes and, and just hope that the church grows and thrives. God has given us the way that the church grows and thrives. He uses his people doing the work of the ministry. So we should work hard because God has worked so hard and done so much for us. Third, we should give to the church. As Christians, we have a unique opportunity to care for those who are hurting, to proclaim hope into darkness, to proclaim the gospel to the lost. But still, we spend most of our money, time, resources on ourselves. We give half-heartedly at best of our time and resources. We give in a way that expects God in some way to be indebted to us, as if giving to him, he he now owes us. We give in a way often... That, that we expect the church to be indebted to us. Everything you have is from God. God has been abundantly generous towards us. You would not have anything if it wasn't for God. And that should redefine how we use the money that we've been given. We should give freely and joyfully to the church. Paul describes the church in Macedonia to the, to the Corinthian church. And he says, in their poverty, they They came out with joy, and in their joy, they gave freely. They gave immensely. Why? To meet the needs of the saints. In their poverty, because they knew they needed God and because everything they had was from God, that even in their poverty, they they gave freely to the work of the ministry to meet the needs of the saints. We should give freely and joyfully. We should give specifically as needs come up in the lives of those around us. And at the same time, we get to give consistently to the church to support the work of the gospel. And then we should be active and sharing and proclaiming the gospel. Fourthly, we need to be a part of spreading the gospel. No one has done more and is doing more currently for his church than Christ. He is building his church and he will not fail. And he has made us a part of this. He has brought us into this. Matthew chapter 28, known as the Great Commission, he tells us, Jesus tells us, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He has all authority. He is building this church and he will accomplish his mission. But he has given us an incredible opportunity to be a part of that mission to be a part of his mission, to go and proclaim the good news that we can be saved from our sins, the good news that there is salvation nowhere else. So we should go and tell our neighbors, our coworkers, our city, and people throughout the world to seek the good of the church. 
We should care about the good of the church here in Richmond, but we should also want to see churches planted and thriving throughout the world because we care about what God has done. We've seen his work in our life. We care about the gospel and the mission of God, and that should lead us to care more deeply about the work that missionaries are doing around the world, that our missionaries are doing in Central Asia and other parts of the world. When we hear about them, we should not just wait around for an occasional update. We must commit to pray. We must commit to encourage and support those who have gone and those who are going. However we can, we need to pray for the global church. We should never become so self-centered, so enamored with our own lives, so enamored with our own local church that we forget the trials, the difficulties that Christians face around the world. We should never forget these things. They should be on our hearts. Those who are out there, many of them are desperately seeking peace. We all need peace, but they are living the reality in a way that we don't understand. They desperately need Christ to change hearts and lives, and they're at work for that. So we need to support and encourage them because as they're going, they're not just going as individuals. We are sending them. We are sending them together. And so we are committed to, 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 to their good, to seeking their good as they go. It is the most mind-blowing truth for me that the, that the same thing that can save someone in Central Asia, the same thing that I'm praying for, that churches would be planted over there, the same thing that could change that entire area, save people from their sin, is the same thing that saved me from my sin. And it's the same thing that will save your neighbor or your coworker that you just think won't ever change. And it's the same thing that will save our children. It is Christ alone that saves. Christ alone that can bring peace to Jerusalem, and it is in Christ alone that it is our peace here today. Jesus came into this world and became the peace that Jerusalem couldn't find no matter how thick the walls were. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us Christ himself is our peace. So we come together as people who wholeheartedly see their need for Christ, who wholeheartedly believe there is nowhere else we can go. He has the words of eternal life. We can find life nowhere else. And when God saves us, and God transforms us, he doesn't make us alive so that we can now live self-centered, half-hearted lives for him. The prophet Jeremiah tells us in beautiful language, God didn't look at us this way. This is, this is Jeremiah. He says, I, this is God speaking, I, God, will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in the land of faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. God is not half-hearted about you. God is not half-hearted about his church. God is not half-hearted about his mission. With all of his heart, with all of his soul, he seeks to do you good. He rejoices to do you good. He rejoices to be faithful toward you. So we don't go about this half-heartedly. We are motivated by what God has done for us and how he has gone about it. So we seek after Christ with all of our heart. We seek Christ together. We sing praises together with all of our heart. We go to church together with all of our heart, not begrudgingly. We pray together with all of our heart. 
We serve the church and seek the good of God's people with all of our heart. I know it sounds exhausting. We don't do much of anything with all of our heart. And it will be exhausting if we try to do this on our own. But if we do this in response to the abundant goodness of God, if we do this in response to all that God has done for us, then it will be a joy, even if it is exhausting. It will be a joy. So we must live every moment in response to the exceedingly abundant riches that we have in Christ. We're going to close here um, and say goodbye to Psalm 122. I'm not really saying goodbye, but uh, (laughs) you can go read it anytime you want to. Uh, uh, This week, I've I've read uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and it really helped me uh, think through this and just praise God for what he has done. The end of a long letter to the Hebrews. And if you don't know Hebrews well, basically the summary of, of Hebrews is Jesus is better than everything. Um, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful letter. Um, and, and at the end of this letter, after saying and explaining how Jesus is better than everything that's come before him, everything that will exist ever, Jesus is better. In Hebrews chapter 3, we are told, chapter 13, we are told... So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, because of him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let us acknowledge his name. That's the fruit of our lips. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Jesus went outside the gate to save us, to sanctify us, to sanctify his church. So let's pursue him together. Let's go out to him together. Let that lead us to continually Offer up praise to God. Let us continually seek the good of his people, to share what we have, to use what we have for the building up of his church. I love this church. I love the people that are a part of this church. I love that you are here with us together this morning. It truly is a joy. It makes my heart rejoice to be able to gather together with you. And it makes my heart rejoice at thinking that every Sunday we go to Christ together. It is in Christ alone that we have the promise of new life, the peace and security that we are all so desperate for. In Christ alone, we have a lasting city. In Christ alone, we have new life. So let's praise him. Let's share what we have. Let's seek the good of his church together. Let's rejoice at the opportunity that we have to come together. Let's rejoice at the opportunity that we have to do good to one another. Let that be the joy of our hearts each and every day. And let's take communion together. We get to be reminded each week of what God has done. And one of the ways that we are reminded of the peace that God has brought us through Christ is by taking communion as a church every Sunday. So even now as as we prepare to take communion, as we think about these things, we get to remember Jesus. We get to turn away 
from anything that would lead us away from Jesus. We get to turn to him. We get to remember that God cares more about our peace than any of us ever could. And he has done more for the sake of peace, for the sake of his church than any of us ever can. And so for those who have trusted in Christ, we encourage you to come in just a couple of minutes and take the bread and dip it into the juice. There will be members of this church up front and in the back and in the balcony. You can go to them and and your brothers and sisters in Christ will remind you and say to you that Christ, the body of Christ was offered for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. And because of that, we have peace. We get to rejoice in that. So in a couple minutes, we're going to take just a couple minutes to reflect. As you're reflecting, you're going to see a few people come up here. Let them come up, get the elements, and go to their stations. And then you will be invited. You, the worship leader will invite us to come and partake of the, of the supper that God has prepared for us. The, the supper that gives us life, the words of life, the bread of life. You're, you're invited to come and partake and remember all that God has done for us. Um, let's pray, and then we'll take a couple minutes to reflect on Psalm 122. Father, thank you for what you have done in, in my heart. Thank you um, for showing me how little um, I truly enjoy and rejoice the things that you call me to. Father, thank you for restoring that joy. Thank you for returning that joy. Thank you for reminding me of why it is a joy. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray that you would do that in each of our hearts. I pray that you would help us to see that coming together each week is, is something that should make our hearts leap for joy. The being together with your people, praying with them, singing with them, is something that should cause our hearts to rejoice because of how good you are. Father, we thank you for it. I pray that, that in the midst of that, that you will drive us to faithfully and consistently seek after you with your people, that we would seek after the good of your people, that we would do with all of our efforts, with all of our hearts, we would do what you have called us to do for one another. And that through that, that you would continue to build your church, grow your church, strengthen your church, and, and that we would see more churches started, more lives changed and added to this church because of it. We would see churches changed throughout the world. Father, do the work that only you can do. Thank you for making us a part of it. Thank you for bringing us into it. Uh, remind us of that today. We thank you for, your, for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.